0: I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now.: Born and raised in Harlem, it was Cicely Tyson's iconic beauty that got her noticed, but her talent made her a legend. She started out as a fashion model in the 50s, and in 1963, she became one of the first black actors to get cast as a regular on a TV series in East Side, West Side. Her big break came in 1972 when she starred in Sounder. That performance earned Cicely an Oscar nomination. Five years later, she was cast as Binta, Kunta Kinte's mother in Roots. You know, I've always wanted to sit in this room with you and have a conversation. Now we're having it in front of lots of people. Oh, dear. And I always wanted to do that because at, when I first started to be able to afford to buy real art, this painting behind us yes. is the first painting, yes. real piece of art, that I I purchased. And when I saw it, I, I, I felt immediately that I had to have it. It's called To the Highest Bidder," And every time I... Pass her, which is you know many times a day. I always think of you. Really? Yes, I oh, do. God. I always so think of you. Yes. Yes. What is it about her? It, there's something about her presence and her strength of character mm-hmm. that reminds me of you and the roles that you've played and oh. how you brought that to life for us and everything that you have done. Particularly in Roots and Miss Jane Pittman and Sounder and all of those roles. So when yeah. I think of her, I call, huh. I call her Miss Cicely. Oh,
1: dear. <laughs> so I am low. I am with you always. Always, yes. I love Absolutely. It.
0: Yeah. And in this room on the wall are all names of slaves that I bought from documents from old plantations. So I keep their names near me. me. Yeah. Oh, to yeah. remind lest me. Lest we forget. Yes, lest we forget. Mm-hmm. So you're the first person... And only person I will ever interview in this space. You want an interview or not? <laughs> <laughs> You're taking my breath away. <laughs> so we're here celebrating, honoring 35 years of you playing Binta. Been to yes yeah. Kunta yeah. Kinte's mother. It's hard to believe, five yes. years. And you were really, it's hard to also believe, you were only in one episode. One episode. I gave birth. You gave birth. I gave birth. It was quite a privilege. What does it mean to you? What did it mean to you then to get that role? Did you Did you know that it was going to become the phenomenon? Did you know when you read the script? No. Could you feel that something was special about?
1: I knew that I, as well as millions of others, would be introduced to ourselves in a way we had never been introduced to ourselves before, Mm. in terms of who we were, Mm -hmm. what we were, and why we were on this planet. Mm. I knew that. You did know that. I knew that. I felt it, because I learned things in the reading of the script that I did not know Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I, as well as whoever viewed it, Mm -hmm. was in for a a real education in terms of who we were. Wow.
0: When we first see you on screen, there you are, giving birth. Mm -hmm. And Maya Angelou is uh, there playing your Mother. mother. Yes. What do you remember about the filming of that scene?
1: Wow. Well, when I was giving birth to. Kenta. I. I, I don't even remember. I was. Taken over, consumed by something. I don't even remember. Mm. What I do remember was that I felt a fire on my back. Mm. And I didn't know where that was coming from. And it turned out, I found out after, that they it was cold. Mm-hmm. And they had these big uh, lamps mm-hmm. to to give warmth to those huts. Mm-hmm. And that was burning my back. And I am allergic to heat, the sun. And when I was finished, my whole back was swollen. Really? From the heat, and I heat just of
0: the lamps of the of the camera crew.
1: That's right. Yes, and I just put that all into the pain that I was having, the birth, From giving birth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: So, how did or did uh, root influence the roles that you took afterwards?
1: I think you know it's so important for us to understand who we are, mm-hmm. where we came from. Okay and that i had the privilege of being the mother huh that
0: the kunti yes yes,
1: yes. Mm. it it made m- life as a black woman more meaningful to me mm. to be able to say to a generation after generation after generation this is where you come from. Wow. That's not it, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. When you decided to become an actress, your mother didn't speak to you for a while, <laughs> I heard. But she finally came around. She asked me to move. Really? Yeah, she said, you can't live here and do that. So I would read a story that you were working as a secretary. Yeah. And that you stood up in the secretary pool one day. <laughs> and said, I know God did not intend that." I mean. sure did. Is that true? Yes, I did. That's a true story. That's true story.
1: I love yes, that. Yes, yes. I was sitting there typing away. I was working for the American Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And I worked for the vice president of the organization plus the psychiatrist who mm-hmm. came in to deal with the problems mm-hmm. of some people. And this woman sat there who was a client and talked about the fact that she had a daughter who was eight years old, and that her her husband was molesting the daughter. And she was afraid to tell anyone, Mm. because she didn't want him to lose his job. Oh, my goodness. Well, when she was finished, I sat there typing up the case history. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is not for me. I said, I just pushed myself away from the desk. And I said, I know that God didn't put me on the face of this earth to bang on a typewriter for the rest of my life. I know there must be something else for me to do. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find it. Wow. And then I pulled myself back. I proceeded to finish whatever I was <laughs> typing. typing the case. And I was just quiet on the whole floor. I looked up. And they were all looking at me. <laughs> As if I had lost my mind, and I suppose for a moment or so I did. But I
0: knew that there was something else for me to do. And was there also an incident where a woman had received 20, a watch, a gold watch? Oh yes, Mrs. Johnson.
1: Can you imagine? I remember her name. Wow. I can tell you exactly the way that woman looked and everything she had on that day. What happened? She her desk was next to mine. Uh huh. And she had been there for 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. And so they had a little party, and they gave her a gold watch. And I said, uh-uh. I want to buy my own gold watch. I am not going to be any place for 30 years and have them hand me a gold watch. Wow. Yeah, that's true. How old were you at the time? Been old enough. To know
0: now, not to tell you how old I was. <laughs> um, isn't that amazing? How I do find it truly, and the word is appropriate—amazing—that an, an an incident like that, a small thing like that, becomes such a huge Im- influence in your life. But you don't Mrs. know. Mrs. Johnson's. Yeah, yeah, that Thirtieth anniversary a gold what?
1: watch. Yes. For thirty years of your life. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No. No, but it it stayed with me. And I tell you, I could see her face as clearly as if she was
0: sitting next to me. That's how, what an impact it Mm -hmm. made on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. We, we, none of us realizes, and I'm sure she didn't at the time, the impact that we have on other people. No, Mm -hmm. no, no. Isn't it surprising? Yes. I know that during the filming of Roots, you were mourning the death of your mother, and that you said that that actually Broke you. Yeah, because uh, her death was quite
1: unexpected, yet. I was on a plane, the red eye. I was going to New York. uh, To gather up some uh, formal wear. To join the Dance Theater of Harlem, who was being honored by Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And so. On that plane, I had this dream. I dreamt that I fell in the street and I had my right hand extended for help. When I got to New York, I said to my assistant Susan at the time, I said, Susan, something's going on. Something's happening. Somebody's trying to get a message to me, Okay." And she said, what do you mean? I said, because, and I told her the dream.
0: Because you've always had this sixth sense, haven't you? Mm Yeah,
1: my mother had it too, Mm. and she she just passed on. So I told her the dream. She said, well, you know, I mean, I haven't gotten any news, so I guess everything is all right. So I was still tortured by the fact that I could not get on that plane that night until I found out what the message was. And so I went home, and I started getting things together, and the phone rang. It was my sister. I said, how are you? She said, not good. Mother just passed. My mother woke up that morning. She called my sister-in-law and said, Bernice, I'm going home to my mother. And Bernice said, oh, mother, don't talk like that. I don't like to hear you say things like, why don't you wait until sister come? All my family members coming. Me. She said, "Okay, I'll wait." She did not know that I was on the East Coast. I didn't call to tell her. She got dressed in her Sunday best, walked out of the house six feet from her door, and she dropped just as I had jumped in, and she had her right exactly.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm the kind of person who, when I get these kinds of things, I don't ignore them because it is a message Mm -hmm.
0: to me. Mm -hmm. So having that sixth sense, that connection, I would think that you understand then also that you know, the spirit lives on, the yes. spirit goes on. no question. No question. No question with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Did it ever okay. frighten you having this, having this ability? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, I would think. Yeah. It's both advantageous, but also oh, kind of yeah. scary. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I went through a terrible time. But she said when I was six months old, she was pushing me in a carriage, and a woman stopped her and said, take care of that child. She has a sixth sense. She is going to make you very proud one day. And she's going to take care of you in your old age. Mm. Wow. Wow. I had forgotten all about it. And when, when I lost her, I just could not adjust. I felt, for the first time, I understood what people who are amputees mm. mean when they say, even though the limb is gone, you feel as though it's still there. Really? And that's how I felt. I felt that it was gone.
0: My right arm was gone. And yet it was there, you know? Yeah. Did you use the mourning of her, the loss of her, the yearning for that, you know, part well, that was missing as, as, as your character as Benta?
1: You know, people ask why I've always been so private, Mm -hmm. you know, that I don't discuss my personal life, Mm -hmm. I mean. Um, And I remember being asked that by an interviewer, and I said, because it's my personal life that allows me to give you what I do. It's what's innate in me mm-hmm. as a being. Yes, that. Allows me to give a role. What it should have yes. to make it live yes. for you. Yes, okay. And so, I mean, I think. You know, I don't think my, my life is so uh, meaningful in the sense that I have to walk around talking about it to every Tom, Dick, and Harriet, it it isn't. You know, it's the life that I've lived in every, I am, in fact, the sum total of my whole life's experience. Mm -hmm. And of everything. 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 believe me when I say, I think that I have profited more from the negative as opposed to the positive. Really? Yes, because... Negative if, experiences? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I I really relish and treasure them more than positive because if I have been able to survive it and reach another level, mm-hmm. that has given me more growth, more strength, more confidence. Yes. It has enriched my life more, and that's why I treasure them. I never think of what people perceive as being negative as negative at all.
0: To me, it's the most positive. Wow. Because you use it as an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. You use the opposition as opportunity. But just
1: think that you
0: have a
1: negative experience, which you think will bring you to your knees, and it doesn't. It doesn't. And you survive that. You're that much stronger. You're richer. You're fuller. You're more in touch with what God wants you to be in touch
0: with. I'm marveling at what you're saying, because I just heard T.D. Jakes, Reverend T.D. Jakes, Mm -hmm. preach an entire sermon about this. He called it saving the scraps. And he talked about the, in terms of the loaves and fishes, when God, when Jesus was feeding the, the multitudes and asked the disciples to, pick up the baskets of scraps. And he was saying that your real power is in the scraps, in the scraps of your life. Absolutely. Mm
1: absolutely, And we don't, we decry that.
0: Yes. But just
1: think, you've survived it. Yes. That's the important thing. You've survived it. And once you have survived it, you're on another level. That's right. Because you've come
0: through that storm. So there are certain roles that you refuse to take in your career. You've said that you didn't have the luxury of just being an actress. Well, you know, (laughs) my
1: mother uh, just uh, felt very strongly that I was going to live in a den of iniquity. You know
0: what that means, right? I do know.
1: All mothers think that. When I t-
0: when I told my father when I first said I wanted to be an actress, I remember clearly the day, and he said, "No daughter of mine is going to be lying down <laughs> on some castin couch." I mean, it was like he thought-
1: knew the name of it, yes. <laughs> castin couch. It, yes, That's yes, very
0: good, very good. <laughs> yes, I no. mean the the, I think the interpretation yeah. was that yeah.
1: Well, we never we we were not children that went to the movies. Never went to movies mm-hmm. as a child. The fact that I'm in the business is a source of amazement not only to my family and friends but to myself, mm-hmm. because we were not children that did our chores on Saturday and were rewarded by going, going to, to the, the movie. Yes, we weren't. So I didn't sit there ogling over the character on the screen and say, "I want to be that." I never. But she she felt very strongly about that. She told me that as I said earlier, that I couldn't um, live in her house and do that. Mm -hmm. And so I moved. I found a girlfriend who was my size, wore the same size clothes, had an apartment, had a job, so that when I had to go out on interviews, I could borrow a dress or Mm -hmm. uh, I had some place to sleep and so on and so forth. Then uh, two years later, I did a play at the Y, and that's the first time I ever uh, stepped on a stage. Uh, And it was produced by my then teacher, her name was Vinette Carroll, and she was directing a play, "Dark of the Moon was the name of it. And so I decided I would ask my mother to come and see it. So she agreed. I put her in the center Of the third row, because I wanted to know where she would be so that I would avoid that area. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I put it. From the moment I walked onto the stage, eh eh, what she got on there? She started talking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's talking to her neighbor, but. She thinks she's whispering, and the whole theater is hearing this woman comment on every move I made (laughs) on the stage. Okay? Uh All right, I got through that. I go backstage, room makeup and hair and costume. I come out, my mother is standing at the door accepting congratulatory remarks. <laughs> yes, I always know, ever since she was a little girl, you know, she liked to sing and dance. I knew one day... This is the woman who told me that I could not live in her house if uh-huh. that's the life I wanted to live. After that, she became a little bit um, more tolerant mm-hmm. of my being in the business. Then when Sounder, opened. I invited her to the opening. I'm sitting here. She's sitting behind me. She's tapping me on the shoulder to say, Ed Sullivan is sitting behind me. (laughs) (laughs) She loved Ed Sullivan. Uh I said, Ed Sullivan, I'm sitting here. (laughs) But, you know, it What I realized, and this is what I mean, when you can take lemons and make lemonade, Mm -hmm. we had a very, very difficult time, my mother and I. And I learned that all the adversity that existed between us, primarily because my dad I looked just like him. Every time she looked at me, she saw him. Mm -hmm. And so I became, you know. Mm -hmm. But what the adversity that existed between the two of us was, and I say that I don't think she left here without realizing that she, in fact, is responsible for what I have become. Because that's what I used. You know, mm-hmm. that, that relationship, fighting to get, and she was fighting to protect me. I was fighting for my independence. independence yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And, but that is what buoyed me. You never know where your source of energy is going to come from. You just don't. And believe me, she was my source of energy. And I realized that after she was gone, because it was so difficult for me to, to get it together. Mm-hmm.
0: You made a distinct choice mm-hmm. not to take roles that in any way were going to be detrimental to the character of, of women. women. Of black women.
1: Primarily because I was doing an interview in Philadelphia. It was a press conference, and this journalist stood up and admitted that he discovered a bit of bigotry in himself Mm. while viewing Sounder. And that came about because uh, Kevin Hooks, who played my oldest son, Mm -hmm. referred to his father as Daddy. And so I asked him whether or not he had any children. He said, yes, I have two sons. What do they call you, Daddy, he said. He could not equate the fact that this little black boy was calling this black man daddy as his son did him. I thought to myself, my god, I can't believe that. I had that. I was doing an interview in Los Angeles, and this uh, young lady said to me, it's hard for me to believe that love existed between black men and women, the likes of which you exhibited in Sounder. I said, do you realize what you're saying? (laughs) You're saying that we're not human beings. Yeah, I know. I know. And she said, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know them. I never lived uh, uh, among them. I never went to school with them. I didn't. uh, Them. Them. She's talking to me. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm sorry, your guilt. Lies in your innocence, I said to her. Your guilt lies lies in your your innocence. I cannot accept that. You can't live in this society during the civil rights era and not know what's going on with a race of people. Mm. Sorry.
0: Your guilt lies Lies in your your innocence. mm.
1: It's hard to believe, but it's true. Yeah, Mm. it's very difficult to believe. I mean, I, I sometimes think, you know, you can't live in this society and not be aware unless you are completely shut off
0: from them. You cannot. Yes, but you know, at the time, people were shut off. And also for me, around, you know, my whole life, I was always the only black kid in this. I was the first black person to do in this, first on the television and so forth. And it's just a part of our lives. It's just a part of our lives. But for a lot of people... If not through their housekeepers, if n- they, they had no friends. They had no introduction to but black people. I think that we, we in order
1: to survive in, in this society, have had to learn them. Mm-hmm. They have never had to learn us. And
0: I think that's where the ball was dropped. We had to learn them in order to survive. Well, did you realize at the time of Root that that was the first time? for actually a lot of black people, unfortunately, yes, who did not know the history, true. True. did not understand. True. And certainly for most of the white people, that was the first time anybody even had a clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because, I, well, it's like the young lady said to me, well, I, I don't know them. I never went to school with them. I didn't live in the same neighborhood, and so on and so forth. So there was no need right, to know who to I know. was. Yes. OK, but there was a need for us to know who they were in order to protect ourselves. I think that's where the problem. It's important for you to know people in order for you to understand or to have any kind of relationship with them. Mm -hmm. How else do you get to
0: have a unity among people if you don't do that? You were a trailblazer. You've always been a trailblazer. But I think it was Ebony that that called you the mother of the Afro style. You were doing it before it was popular. Before when you were doing it, people were saying, "Why is she wearing her hair that way?" Oh, I would, yeah. Listen, if I
1: were one to have saved these things, I could give you a, a room full of letters Really? from people, primarily blacks,
0: black, bl- black people,
1: who absolutely crucified me for doing mm. that. Wow. I was told that I was re- in a position to uplift the image of the black woman. And I was absolutely destroying it by wearing my hair in the, in the natural. The interesting thing is that I was doing a mo- a, a, a Sunday morning uh, a television show uh, that was called- Oh my goodness, is
0: that you? Yeah. Somebody just brought this picture. <laughs> you know who I thought this was? I thought this was Kimberly Elise. <laughs> don't we know that's why everybody thinks she's my daughter. That's, that's you. Right? You were doing that in nineteen I don't know who I am. Wow. That was bold. And people thought you you you, you were degrading the race. That's right. Exactly and when you right. did this, people yeah. thought you were degrading the race. This came about
1: as a result of the movie. See, everything that I did had to do with a character that I was playing. This was a movie entitled Between Yesterday and Today. And it was about a couple who, uh, during the transition of Africa mm-hmm. to the more a Western world, mm-hmm. my husband wanted to change. I did not want it. I wanted to stay mm-hmm. with the old culture and the old customs
0: ah, of Africa. That was the movie.
1: That's right. Uh-huh. It was done. It was entitled Between Yesterday and Today. Now it was done live. It was a television morning show, Sunday morning show. And so that night before I was so unhappy about the fact that my hair was straightened and long and. I went up to Harlem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked into the Shalimar barbershop, which <laughs> was Duke Ellington's barbershop, the Shalimar barbershop. Barber shop, yes. yes, I walked into his barbershop, that barbershop. And I said to this gentleman who uh, approached me, I said, I want you to cut my hair, Uh, you know, just cut it. So he sat me down, put this uh, smock around me, and he started cutting. And he cut it down to about, you know. Mm -hmm. know. And so he said, how does that look to you? Uh, Does that make you happy? And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want you to shave it all off. Shave it as close to my head as you can possibly get it, and then wash it So that it goes back to its natural state. The man went and sat down. (laughs) He said to me, are you sure that's what you want? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I want. So he said, okay. The next morning I get on set, I have it tied up. Okay, wow. They do the makeup and the costume. and the director says, okay, we're ready. Uh, I take this scarf off. Did the people pass out? <laughs> so finally, the director walks over to me and he said, "Cicely, you cut your hair." And I said, "I didn't say anything. I just shook my head." Mm-hmm. He said, "You know, I wanted to ask you to do it, but I didn't have the nerve."
0: Wow. And that—that that was it. Wow. So. When people were sending you all of that mail saying you're degrading the black woman and you should be lifting us up That's and how the, dare you, yeah. did you feel that you needed to respond to them? Did I you didn't. feel that you didn't?
1: That wasn't my problem. It was theirs, and I wasn't going to make it mine. I love you. I didn't have a problem. I love with you that
0: for at that. All. Yeah. Not at all. Why? Did you feel like a trailblazer? Did you feel no. like oh, no. I started that? You no, didn't think of that? Not. No. Absolutely mm-hmm.
1: not. It was all in the process of my developing as a human being and making my characters real Mm -hmm. and true to their being. Mm -hmm.
0: What has it cost you to have this standard (laughs) of what you would and would not play? Has that cost you? I would own your house. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Really? You know? But I I made the decision that when I read a script, either my skin tingled or my stomach churned. When my skin tingled, I knew I had to do it. When my stomach churned, couldn't do it. I knew I couldn't do it. I knew that whatever monetary gain there was would end up in a psychiatrist's hand because I could not live with myself, having done certain things that I found were demeaning to me as a woman first, Mm -hmm. and to the race of people. just couldn't do it? I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I came pretty close to doing it one time, because I wanted desperately to work with this director. And he came to Hollywood, and he was going to do this movie. He sent me the script. I took it home. I opened it, I started to read it. And the more I read it, the sicker I became. And so I called him and I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. He came to the house. He said, let's talk about it, which we did. And so I said, "Okay, I'll try again. I sat up that whole night. I read the entire script onto a tape, and then I played it back the next morning. And I said, I can't do it. And that was it. It just made me sick to my stomach. Mm -hmm. And the thought, see, you know, if you do a play, you do it, it's over. But the thought of doing something like this and leaving it on uh, the screen is forever, Okay. And that's
0: not where I want to live. When you look back at your career, you've played, you know, iconic roles. Mm -hmm. Harriet Tubman and Jane Pittman, Coretta Scott King, and Binta, not just as an actress, really, but as a woman, an African-American woman. What do you want your legacy to be?
1: I suppose it's, uh, it's easy to say whatever what, whatever it has done to improve the human race, mm-hmm. I
0: don't know. You know, it's so interesting. I asked the question, because I'm curious about your answer. But when I am asked that question, I remember something that Maya Angelou shared with me when I opened my school in Africa. Africa. And I said, oh, this will this will be my legacy. And Maya, in her Maya way, mm-hmm. said, you don't know what your legacy will be. You don't know. That the legacy is every life that was ever touched by you. Yeah. Every person who ever saw, <laughs> experienced, heard something that you said, exactly. and they were affected by it. Yeah, but you don't know that. But you don't know that. That's what she said. That's why she said, I you don't you, know. That's right. You don't know. I don't know. Mm. Well, I have to ask, what do you now know about love? I'm not going to ask you about your personal life and your marriage to Miles Davis and all that. (laughs) Everybody knows that. But what do you now know about love? What is it? Mm -hmm. What is it? Hmm. Do you know what it is? (laughs) What is is it? (laughs) What is it? Mm -hmm. What is love? Do you know what it is? I think I do. You do? Yeah, I think I do. You know... There are
1: so many definitions given that word. It is bandied about more than any other word, I think, in the English language. language yes. And I don't know that many of us know what it actually means. Mm. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, begotten son. Okay? That's as close as I get to it.
0: Do you get as close as knowing, feeling, through nature, through church, through whatever, that God is love?
1: Well, when you put it in that context, I think it takes God out of the realm of being, for me, Mm -hmm. of being human. Of being a person, mm-hmm. and we deal with humanity, mm-hmm. and we relate to each other in loving ways mm-hmm. as human beings. And so, I don't know that I would put it in that context. I know that we are taught that it is, and at times, we experience certain emotions in our being mm-hmm. that we attribute to love. Mm-hmm. What is that love? Is it? I don't know. I know when I feel a certain warmth, a closeness of um, a desire to, to give, of myself, to another human being is that is that what it is mm-hmm. i don't know i'm all I'm constantly
0: questioning that myself about that what it is what makes you happy just fills you up brings you great joy. What makes me happy
1: I live on the 17th floor of a building overlooking Central Park. Hmm. It's interesting. When I was a little girl growing up, my mother, who never allowed us to go out and play with other children, would, after we finished our dinner and our chores, she would take us to Central Park and we'd sit outside the park on these benches. And I used to sit there and look at these buildings, these high-rises, and wonder who lived in those buildings and why we didn't live there. And for the last 30-some odd years, I have lived in that building. Wow! And so when I wake up in the morning wow. and I look at the sky and the stars and the moon and that verse. When I look at the earth and the fullness therein, I wonder what is man that Thou art so mindful of him.
0: Joy. I right. try. Joy. I right. try. This has been the honor of my life and career to have you sitting here in Likewise. my eyes. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.